All right, um, Adam needs to get up here and preach, but I need to take a quick teaching moment because this is a teaching moment um, on two things. One is this. Um, one of the things I told the search committee when they were interviewing me, so this is not my fault, is um, that I, it, it was my dream to lead a church that a lot of things marked that church, but one of the things I wanted the church that I helped lead to be was a teaching church, kind of like a teaching hospital, which means, you know, you don't want to come in June, right? But, um, but the idea is, is that some church has got, where, do the, where are the pastors going to come from? Where do the next where do the next Christian leaders come from? Somebody's got to help them get there. When I um, preached at Lynn Haven to, um, to, get the, to sort of try to get the job there, it was the first time I'd ever preached to adults. I was 26. I'd been through seminary. I'd, nobody had ever given me an opportunity to, to preach to adults in my, in my ministry at that point. And um, so I just had to get up there and, you know, just try it out. And so one of the things that um, we've opened up already here is a pastoral internship position. Adam Darbone is our first pastoral intern. He committed to come between three and six months. He wants to stay a little longer. The elders affirm that. So he's going to be here till next June. He's going to be here a year. We've extended his, his stay. I'm excited. He's excited. Um, one of the things that has to be part of of pastoral interns is they've got to learn how to preach. And it's one of those things you can only learn by doing. Now, We've done a lot of learning, not by doing, okay? But you've got to learn by doing at some point. Five different churches have invited him to speak. He's already spoken at um, Grace Community Church in Richland Center, um, and this morning he's going to speak to you. So um, I want you to embrace with me the importance of, of having interns. That's really important. Secondly is, I want you to embrace, and I've said this before, but I need to say it again. I want you to embrace um, the guest speakers who speak here at High Point Church. We're going to have at least 12 a year. Nobody can be interesting 20, 52 weeks a year, okay? You just need to understand that. Nobody can be interesting 52 weeks a year. Um, pastoring this church is three full-time jobs. I don't know if you noticed how many people are here, and there's one pastor, okay? So either, the, you know, the elders need a second full-time job, or you need to realize that I have three full-time jobs. Just, just looking to the Lord and being with people is a full-time job, just preaching is a full-time job, and just leading this organization and mentoring its leaders and mentoring the staff is another one. And so I just need some weeks where I don't do it, and I also want to keep my family. So, you, you, so I need there to be 12 guest speakers a year, but you need it too because you need to learn to receive God's word from more than one person. Okay, you, you need to have imperfect spokesmen up here, even more imperfect than me, and you need to open yourself up and take off your critic hat and put on your student hat and say, God, what would you say to me mediated through the personality of this speaker, okay? Now, your speaker this morning is going to be Adam Darbone. He's the third Adam to speak here in a year. It's, it was not intentional. Um, we're not going to move on to Eve next year. And uh, <laughs> it's very biblical. We're working our way through the Bible. Um, He's from San Mateo in the, in the San Francisco area. He has a BA in Religious Studies and History from UC Davis, one of the top public institutions in the country. He did a two-year preaching internship um, in First Baptist um, Church Davis's college life, their college ministry, with my brother and another staff worker. Um, and so we've invited him to come here um, as a pastoral intern. He's hoping to go to seminary and be a senior pastor one day, and um, we'll just see about that. But this, this morning he's going to preach um, the best passage in Mark, the passage on the resurrection. So Adam, why don't you come and preach it us? <laughs> I have signs in the back. That's nice. Um, okay, so I'm Adam. Uh, 
you can go ahead and open your Bibles up to Mark 16. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, so you do have a Bible. Uh, and before I get started, I want to just uh, address the elephant in the room. I'm 22 years old, for those of you who are wondering. Um, and, uh, and so, and believe me when I say that I'm intimidated preaching to a whole bunch of people that are both older and wiser than I am, and I really do believe that. Uh, but I also really do believe that Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness, and that being 22 is a weakness, and that he's given me a word to preach today. So uh, we'll just see what he does with that. Um, so, all right, Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he has told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. All right. Uh, so last week, one of the biggest news stories uh, was that there was a 5.9 earthquake that hit the East Coast. And here's how the New York Times put it. An unusual earthquake centered near Mineral startled millions of people, or millions of people from Maine to Georgia on Tuesday. In the end, there were few reports of serious damage, with more rattling of nerves than property. But the tremors disrupted life in some of the nation's biggest population centers. Tens of thousands of people were evacuated from office buildings. Cell phone service was strangled in the, the quake, uh, led to disruptions in air traffic, halted trains, jammed roadways, and gave some on the West Coast an opportunity to poke fun at Easterners who seemed panicked and uncertain of how to respond. In earthquake-prone areas, people usually are instructed to stay inside and avoid falling debris, but in places where earthquakes are unfamiliar and in a post-September 11th environment, few argued with evacuation commands. Okay, so I'm from California, and most of my friends are from California, and so most of my Facebook friends are from California. And, uh, and I can tell you that after that earthquake, there were a whole lot of statuses uh, harping on, uh, on the East Coast for their wimpiness in the face of an earthquake. Um, th things like 5.9, are you kidding? Uh, here in California, we don't get out of bed for anything less than a 6.5, <laughs> right? And I can't say, say I didn't participate a little bit. And so we had, we had, we enjoyed ourselves poking fun at our neighbors on the other side of the country. But the response on the East Coast wasn't really crazy, was it? I mean, it wasn't a huge earthquake, but it was, I mean, it was an earthquake, right? And um, it didn't do all that much damage, but no one besides arrogant Californians are really blaming the East Coast for their reaction, are they? Okay, why, why though? It's because the East Coast isn't prepared for an earthquake. 
They're not, they're not ready for an earthquake. They don't have them all the time. They make their houses out of bricks, which don't really do well in earthquakes, right? And they aren't trained in school from the time they're little that what to do in an earthquake. Like in California, we have, we have fire drills and we have earthquake drills, right? So when an earthquake comes, we're ready. In fire drills, you leave the classroom. In earthquake drills, you get under your desk. But I'll tell you what, if a tornado or a hurricane hit San Francisco, you see a whole lot of Californians freaking out. Okay, or I cannot tell you the kind of hysteria that would happen if six inches of snow fell in San Francisco. <laughs> people would, I mean, people couldn't go to work because you can't drive in conditions like that. That would be just crazy. You can't even get out of your driveway. So, I'm, I'm going to learn that. <laughs> Because we're not prepared for that. We don't see snow all the time. We drive to the snow. We're not ready for that. But if preparation is the key to responding well to disaster, then how do we prepare for those disasters, those earthquakes in our lives? And we can learn a couple of things from this passage about responding to earthquakes in our lives. We can learn that God is going to shake things up and that uh, Christian community is the key to withstanding those earthquakes. God is going to shake things up, and Christian community is the key to withstanding those earthquakes. Okay, so first, God is going to put earthquakes in our lives to shake things up. Think about these women's last week. Think about how they come to the tomb. There's this guy, Jesus, and he comes in, he starts doing these miracles, and then he's healing people, and he's teaching people. And, and it shakes these women's lives to the core, right? I mean, it shakes all of, of first century Judea to the core. And then Jesus gets arrested. And, and he gets tried by the Jewish and the Roman leaders, and they sentence him to death, and then they crucify him. And where are these women when he's crucified? Mark 15:40 says that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome are watching from a distance. So they see him get killed. Right? And, and so Jesus dies, and they know because they watched it. They watched it happen. And so everything they thought was going to happen just isn't going to happen anymore. Apparently, he's not the Messiah. He's not all that they had hoped for. He's not going to free them from Rome. It, it's just not going to happen anymore. And so all of a sudden, things are just completely unstable. Their world has been absolutely shaken again, right? It was shaken when Jesus came in and started, uh, started shaking things up. But then when he died, their world gets shaken again. I mean, have you ever hoped something was going to happen? I mean, you were just, you were really hoping. You were pretty sure it was going to happen, but you were just hoping it was going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. And I mean, you thought God was going to do something in your life, and he just didn't. And so you're left feeling abandoned and disappointed, this is the state that these women come to the tomb in. And, I mean, they're ready to move on. They've accepted the reality that Jesus is dead. It's all over. It's, I mean, it's time for these women to just get back to their normal life, to settle back in from this three-year blip that they thought was going to change things forever, but it just, it didn't. And so now it's just over. And think about what these women are doing. They're performing their last devoted act to Jesus. Because, see, the thing about a rotting body is that it smells bad. And so after two days, it would have just smelled terrible. I mean, look, 
like I smell bad after two days. All right, you can, you can ask Lexi after the service because some of you know I'm living with the Gibsons. Um, and uh, so I was asking Lexi this week, I really like living with the Gibsons, by the way. Like it's, it's fun living with, um, with them and Lexi's a good cook. And so, so I don't want to screw a good thing up, right? And so I asked Lexi this week, I said, hey, is there anything I can be doing to be a better house guest or, uh, or stop doing that I am doing? And, uh, and she said, well, you know, it's pretty good. Well, your room smells bad. It smells like a college guy's dorm room, which apparently isn't a compliment. What? <laughs> Would have been no- good to know in college. Right, so, so we're working on that, right? Bed, bath, and beyond, here I come. Um, okay, but if I smell bad after a couple of days, a de- imagine how bad a, a dead, rotting body smells. And so these women are going to the tomb to dump spices on their dead friend so that he doesn't smell so bad as he rots away. That's what, they're, that's what they're doing. It's their final act of religious devotion. It's just, it's over. It's, it's just over. And so they go to the tomb, but as they get close, they see the, the stones rolled away. It, the, the tomb's opened up. And so they, they get closer and they kind of peek in the tomb. And you can just, you can feel their anxiety setting in. What are we going to see? And there's an angel where Jesus is supposed to be, right? An angel, and the angel's like, don't be alarmed, right? How about this? You be less alarming, right? <laughs> I mean, and, and the angel's like, you're looking for Jesus. And he's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. And in three words, he has risen. God, through his angel, totally shakes these women's lives again. Totally shakes these women's life again. Talk about a serious tremor. They go to close the door on the whole Jesus thing. Right, to put some spices on their, their dead friend's body. And there's an angel and the stone is rolled away and Jesus isn't there. And what do you expect these women to do? Be okay with this? Right? I mean, how could they be? They're not prepared for it. They're not prepared for it. They, look, they should expect it. They should be prepared for it. They should expect it because Jesus told them, right? The angel says, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he has told you, right? It's from, this is, uh, he's, it's from Mark 14, 28, where Jesus says, but after I'm raised up, I'm going to go before you to Galilee, I mean, they were told explicitly, but they didn't really expect it to happen. And so when it does, they just can't handle it. And so in verse 8, they flee from their tomb, the tomb, and the emotions are these. Trembling, bewildered, and afraid. Trembling, bewildered, and afraid. And look, we can get on these women and say, ah, they should have known. They were told. Silly women. But friends, this is us too. This is us too. God has made it abundantly clear to us that he is going to send earthquake after earthquake in our lives. Um, 
of, of both kinds, right? Because the women experience two different kinds of earthquakes in this passage, right? They experience Jesus' death shakes them because it's an event that they had no control over and causes deep suffering, right? But then at his, their resurrect, at his resurrection, they're terrified too because it, this event has happened and um, they're, they're unsure of how to respond to it. And so it's two different kinds of shaking, but both shake them and both shake us. And, uh, and God has told us that both are going to happen in our lives and we still don't expect it. And so what could our reaction be except for fear? Um, so I'm a 22-year-old kid straight out of college and I'm trying to plan the rest of my life. What's going to happen to me when it doesn't go the way I think it's going to? I mean, I'm already in Wisconsin, so it's not going to go the way I thought it was going to. But <laughs> this was not part of my master plan a year ago. I'm going to graduate college and go to Wisconsin. Um, I like Wisconsin. I like it. Just I'm not going to in a couple months. So, um, But really, what's going to happen to me when God shakes my plans worse than moving out of California? What's going to happen to me when my parents can't be there uh, at my wedding because they got killed by cancer? Or what's going to happen to me if I get in an accident and I get paralyzed? I like playing sports. I like being active. What's going to happen to me if my first kid has autism? Man, that terrifies me. That terrifies me. I'm not expecting that. But let me ask you something. What's going to happen to you if you're passed up on that promotion that you needed financially? You are counting on it. Or if your kid just gets on a bad a soccer team with five kids whose parents are absentee parents and end up being a terrible influence on them. Or what if your next visit to the doctor reveals that you have cancer? or that your spouse has cancer, or that your kid has, has childhood leukemia. Are you really prepared for that? Man, I'm not. I know there are areas in my life where, and I'm sure in yours too, is that we simply don't believe the gospel. We know it, and we've heard it. But we're like the women in the passage. We just don't believe it deep down. And so when God comes in and he shakes your life to a core, maybe this has happened to you, it will terrify you. It'll terrify you. And uh, this is what the Gospel and Life Journey campaign thing is all about. Right? It's, it's not just another cute church thing. It's about finding the areas in your life that you don't really believe the gospel. You think you do. And you know the gospel, but you don't really believe it. And it's about finding those areas and putting the gospel into them. And there are places like that for all of us, whether uh, you're not a Christian or you've been a Christian for, like, for a week, or if you've been a Christian for three times longer than I've been alive. I mean, and, um, we, we have to find those places and just expect that God's going to come in and he's going to shake those up. Because think about it, the whole time in this story, God is in control. The whole time. Right? I mean, when Jesus is crucified, God knows he's going to raise Jesus. And God rolls the stone away, and God sends the angel. God is in charge. He has complete control over what feels like an unstable situation to the women. 
And so to Nick's point last week, if you don't know what God is doing, you just can't know what God is doing. If we don't know what God is doing, that God is going to shake things up, then we won't know what God is doing. And our faith will come tumbling down along with the lives that we planned for ourselves. And look, I'm not saying we shouldn't plan. We can plan and we should plan diligently. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But, but we need to be ready for God to come in and shake those plans up time and time again. We have to live our lives with the fluidity and the flexibility of having a master. And not just any master, but a master that's powerful enough to raise someone from the grave. Okay, um, so then if God is going to continually send earthquakes in our lives and shake them up, then how do we retrofit our lives so that when God shakes them, our faith doesn't come tumbling down? In order to retrofit our lives, God has commanded us to be a part of intimate Christian community. God has commanded us to be a part of intimate Christian community. Look at verse 7 again with me. The angel says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he has told you. The first command given to anyone after the news of the resurrection is go and tell other believers. Don't try to process this in isolation. But look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, go tell the people who didn't believe before. I mean, you might expect that after the guy who, who the Jews and the Romans killed gets raised from the dead, God might send a couple people to Pilate and to the chief priest to tell him, hey, the whole crucifixion thing, it didn't really take. Like, oops, he's alive. You know, you might think that that, but that's not the command. That's not the command here. The command is to tell the disciples and Peter, the ones who already believed. So why? It's because God's plan is for Christian community to be the stabilizing force in your earthquake-ridden life. God's plan is for Christian community to be the stabilizing force in your earthquake-ridden life. Because when God throws an earthquake at you in your life, you need people to lean on and encourage you and help you figure out what God is doing. And when God throws earthquakes in our Christian brothers and sisters' lives, they need us to encourage them and to help them figure out what's going on in their life. God designed it this way. Because, look, the thing about earthquake engineering is engineers don't build structures, don't build houses that can't shake in an earthquake. They build houses that will withstand the shaking despite the shaking. Right? I mean, our brothers and sisters are the stabilizing beams, not that stop the shaking in our lives, but that... Um, but that hold the house up, hold our lives up despite the shaking. Um, okay, so I have this friend uh, named Natalia, and uh, that's Natalia and I, um, from college, and uh, we're pretty good friends. She was in the dorms uh, together with me. We were on the same floor, and then we ended up, we found out we were both Christians, and we ended up going to the same Christian fellowship and actually living in the same apartment complex uh, after freshman year, and so we got to be, we're pretty, we're pretty close friends, and uh, so, and I asked her if I could tell this story. 
But since the time I knew Natalia, Natalia's mom had been sick. Uh, because of some uh, complications with pregnancy, uh, she'd been on long-term dialysis, and so, and which led to this rare disease. And so she was in and out of the hospital. But then this past March, um, she got a urinary tract infection, which eventually spread to her intestinal region, which just sent her into a medical tailspin. And um, so for the past three months straight, Natalia's mom has been in the hospital. She, for that time, she was in the ICU for three weeks straight. Um, and uh, Natalia would drive an hour to the hospital every day with her dad, and her mom would be unconscious, and she'd have a hard time breathing, and she was on pain medication, so she was hallucinating. So Natalia couldn't even really have a conversation with her. And then Natalia showed up to the hospital one day, um, about three months ago, or a few, yeah, a few months ago, and, um, and her mom had a breathing tube in her mouth and an oxygen mask on, and her hands and her feet were tied to the hospital bed because she was hallucinating so bad. And she had IVs in both her arms and her, stu- and her stomach. And the doctor came in that day and, and sat Natalia and her dad down and said, look, your mom has a number of organs failing, but that's, I'm not... I'm not as concerned with that as I am her head. My primary concern is her head because she's still hallucinating and she's been off pain medications for three days now. And I can't figure out why. She shouldn't be. She might have fluid in her brain. We're going to do a CT scan. Um, But if we find fluid in her brain, she's going to live a couple days and that's going to be it. Natalia is 22 years old. She's got her whole life ahead of her. She just graduated from college. She's going to get married one day. And she just got told her mom might die in a couple of days. How is she supposed to respond to that? What's she supposed to do with that? Um, I'll tell you what she did. I got a text that morning along with a whole bunch of my other friends that said, guys, I'm really scared. My mom's in the hospital, and we're not sure what's going to happen. She may not come home. Please pray. And man, if we didn't pray like we'd never prayed before, and we called her and consoled her and encouraged her as best we could. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, Natalia's mom isn't totally out of the woods yet, but she is still alive by the grace of God. And she actually came home on Thursday. I was talking to Natalia on Wednesday, and uh, her mom came home on Thursday after three months. And so she's doing a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, this has totally shaken Natalia's world. I mean, it's shaken everything. Her plans about grad school and all, pretty much everything else in her world but it hasn't broken her. Her life hasn't come tumbling down because she had a community of believers who loved her and loved Jesus that could come around her and help her figure out what God is doing. And, and he is working. Um, he really is. Natalia's dad's not a believer, but he's come to church with Natalia now, and he's asking her about her faith and how she could be such, so at peace with all of this. And... Um, and asking her to pray. God, I mean, God is, God is working mightily through this, but one of the things Natalia said to me as we were talking this week about this, is she said, I don't know how I could have made, made it through this without, 
without my, my Christian believers coming around me. I just, I wouldn't have made it. I don't, th- I don't think I would have made it through this. The angel's command to get in community in verse seven is not simply a plea to spread the gospel to the other believers. It's, it's not, it's not, it is that, right? But it's not simply that. It is a command of love to get in community. God knew the women were gonna need that if they were gonna survive this. And they did. Um, and Mark, tell, Mark doesn't tell us this, but Matthew tells us that the women be, initially were terrified, but they eventually did go tell the other, uh, to the other disciples and Peter. And Christian community ended up being a huge part of the early church. Because Jesus himself instituted that community. He's the great community builder. He had built, before he was crucified, he'd built a perfect community of close friends who loved each other despite their issues. And so when the earthquakes came of Jesus' death and his resurrection, they were ready. Nick talked about it last week. Mark himself never would have made it without, uh, without the community of believers, people like Barnabas. He needed that community. And it's what we need too. We need to allow Jesus to build community between us. We have to find ourselves a group of believers who can come to know us intimately so that when God comes and he shakes our lives to the core, it doesn't, it can, he completely destabilizes us. We have people that can stabilize us, that can hold us up. Because we too are living in the wake of the resurrection in a time where that is earthquake ridden, where God is continually shaking things up as he brings the kingdom of Jesus in full. And uh, so now I'm just gonna, I'm gonna plug small groups pretty unabashedly. Um, Not because this is the only way to find Christian community. It's not. But it is one of the best and easiest ways. And it's the Mac version you will. So, all right, get in a small group. Get in a small group. You have to find people who you can share your lives and your earthquakes with, and people who can share their lives and their earthquakes with you. At some point, you'll be on both sides of that equation, and God has commanded us out of love to be a part of community, intimate community with each other. Okay, so last week, 315 people signed up for small groups, which is awesome, right? I mean, praise God. If you're holding out, I can't promise you it's not going to be awkward at first. Probably will be. That's how these things usually go. But you need to find Christian community that can stabilize you when God shakes your life. And, and you need to be involved in helping Christian brothers and sisters hold steady in their earthquakes. And so, um, so pick up one of those forms uh, out in the lobby and then fill it out before you leave. Don't leave here without filling it out and turning it back into the table in the lobby. Um, and if you're already signed up, that's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. Now you actually have to go. Okay? You actually have to show up to wherever you signed up to be and, and actually go. And once you're there, I encourage you to, to share some things that you wouldn't normally share and get to know these people on a deeper, more intimate level so that when earthquakes come in your life, man, you're stabilized. 
Okay, so for these women, uh, the week of Jesus' trial and death and then his resurrection were all massive tremors that shook them to the core, that just absolutely terrified them. But their problem was not the earthquake, right? The earthquake was Jesus died and that's the best news in history, right? That, the problem wasn't there. The problem was that they weren't prepared for it. They didn't expect that God would shake their world like that. And so when they did, when he did, they were terrified. And that'll be us too. We need to expect that God is going to continually send earthquakes in our lives. And his plan, the tool that he's given us to withstand those earthquakes is community with our Christian brothers and sisters. We need to get in that community and prepare for that earthquake because it's coming. It's coming. And when it comes, remember that Jesus is the one who was shaken time and time again and never crumbled. Jesus, Jesus was shaken when he was tempted in the desert and when he was ridiculed by the Pharisees and when John the Baptist was beheaded and when he was betrayed and tried and convicted and crucified. He was shaken over and over again and yet he never crumbled. His faith never wavered. He lived fluidly under the direction of the Father. And as a result, death was conquered, Jesus was raised, and he is not in that tomb. So even death has no sting anymore. So no matter what earthquake comes our way. Let's pray. Father, you are uh, a good God who is ultimately in control and has a sovereign plan for your people. And, um, and Lord, we, uh, we just acknowledge that you will continually come and shake us to the core until we fully believe your gospel. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that and, uh, and that we would come to fully believe your gospel in ways that we never imagined we could before. And, uh, and we pray that uh, you would give us a community of Christian believers that, uh, that care about us and care about you and uh, can stabilize us in those earthquakes, Father. Um, Lord, give us the courage to build that community. Um, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.